there was no other title to me that, that worked. When yeah. I come up with a title for something, I just start writing um, randomly down yeah. the page and I try not to stop my hand and I just write title after title after title after title after title and then when I get to the one that's right my hand will stop I mean it's literally that automatic it, it, and and I'll think is that it is that really it do you need to try a little harder are you sure that's it and I looked at this and I went the story of my tits that's never gonna fly yeah. you know somebody's gonna flag it they're not gonna like tits yeah. because it's a serious book and it's a serious issue regarding tits but I knew that that, was, that, that that was the title that was the most me and the most, and it, and, it, and it was truest to the story and to the feeling in the story. Because it's a subject of breasts, but it's light with lightness and yeah. it is truly the thing that, keep the, that I keep adhering to in the, throughout the story is that it is, it is talking, it is somehow touching on breasts. You, you weren't concerned that you might, that it might, that it, might be received as being a little flippant when it comes to I was I was yeah. but um, many things in I do, do I deal with everything with humor and so yeah. there are plenty of times when I worry that somebody is considering me to be flippant but because of that I'm always thinking okay for instance with this book uh, friends of mine had gone through cancer they had lost husbands to cancer recently and I thought, you know, the last thing you want to do is act like you don't know how lucky you were and how rough this story is on other people. And so not being flippant, however funny I found things, was really important to me through the whole story. When, when did the name actually come into play? I mean, was it, was it there from the beginning? Yes. Yeah, it was my title. It's, and that's the... the, the, the book kind of came from this, the title? Um, in, in the sense that you, you, yes, you created did, sort of the kind tone. Of. and Yeah, because this was my first graphic novel ever. It was yeah. the first time I set pen to paper, and I think I have in my early sketches that I saved. I didn't do much sketching, because I really didn't want to ruin it. I wanted to get into it, but I did one or two drawings, and one of them was of the cover. And it really wasn't cover art, but it, but I, I said it was something like the history of my tits. No, that's not right. The story of my breasts. No, that's terrible. The story of my tits. And there, and it was just so bold and out there. And I just thought, that's, I can't sugarcoat this. I've yeah. never been able to sugarcoat my stuff. That's just, it, that's it. It's out there. It's got to be that. Were you, at, at, while you were going through it, it what, I mean, was that a comfort that at some point you would be able to tell the story? Uh, no. When I went through it, first of all, I was one of these people who went through it like in a corner rocking back and forth. <laughs> and my husband answered the telephone and made dinner and called the doctor and called the doctor again. And it's incredible to have somebody in your life who can do that for yeah. you. But um, uh, when I was going through it, I had not read a graphic novel. I had uh, the intention of telling my story. Uh, I thought I was going to tell it in writing, and I had been, and still am, a deplorable writer. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I wrote three 300-page unpublished novels, and they are such dreck. Thank God they were never published. I was miffed at the time, but now I was saved from much embarrassment. So I knew I wasn't going to write this thing. So instead, um, uh, I was when I was recovering, and I knew I wanted to share the story. Okay, I'm recovering, I'm reading books. You know, that's yeah. what you do when you're wiped out. Uh, so I happened to read a New York Times article that was talking about um, 
about graphic novels, and the New York Times is always the last guys on the planet. I was one, I've always the wondered that. The last yeah. guys. When you once you read it in the New York yeah. Times, it's over. Okay, that's just a rule of thumb. That's okay. The New York Times does lots of stuff yeah. really well, and I've always read it, and they're great in certain ways. So I'm reading about these things called graphic novels, and I just underlined all the authors and I thought I think I have to find out what these are and I went and got Persepolis and I went and got Clumsy and I went and got um, Linda Barry's 100 Demons yeah. and I got um, you know as many by women as I could get my hands on but just in, in general and I was lucky I had this article because I went right in and I got the best like the cream of the hmm. crop and that's where I started and I looked at these things and said okay that's it because I know how to draw, and I know sort of know how to write, but I don't like too many words. This is perfect for me, and it's perfect for this story because I could see the range of emotion that was possible. It wasn't possible when I wrote or when I drew, and um, so I um, I uh, gave myself a year to read the best graphic novels I could find, and then I said, "Now you got to start," and and so I started. <laughs> it's I I've never I've never heard uh, a story similar to that as far as like that being somebody's way into comics was that they decided they needed to make one that you had no no reference at all. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's not. Uh, I guess people been in comics for a long time think that people all the people around them have always been in comics sure. forever when I was writing I wanted to be a writer and I sat down to be a writer and I drank and I cried and I typed and it was all terrible I people came into my world then who were really great writers hmm. who didn't even want to be writers they'd never thought about it they just sat down and started writing their story and they had a great story and they had something to communicate so what I assume happened was I finally had something I wanted to communicate yeah. and I think it's true in comics too you can have a great writing st style you can have a great drawing style you can have a concept for a story but unless you really have that need to communicate yeah. and, and it really clarifies everything for you that's, that's, and makes and a story it entity. To tell. Yeah, and you've got that yeah. emotional impetus. It's just probably not going to fly. And so this, you know, I, 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 I was very lucky that I had a story. But I bet you there are other women who came to comics you know, late when they developed. Yeah. When I beat myself up for not going to art school and discovering this stuff in the 80s and 90s, I'm thinking, well, what was there in the 80s and 90s? It wasn't there, largely. Yeah, it's, it, it is, you know, it, it is interesting that, you know, there are there are two types of, of comics fans, I mean, broadly speaking, two types of comics fans, and, and you, and a lot of the people that you encounter, people you encounter at shows like this generally are the people who have been reading comics since they were kids you know it's a lot of people who like grew up with them but yeah you do you know certainly at a show like SBX you encounter people who like really came at it later in life you know I I, I, I kind of split the difference and I think a lot of people are similar to me in that respect where I had a period of my life where I read them and then I stopped reading them for a period of time I you know dismissed them thought I had grown out of it and then in and around college discovered that there was this whole other worlds of them. It's funny that you saw the greatest examples of the form, you know, the... the, the I should interrupt you and, let, and oh, sure. say, 
and back up a little and say yeah. it's not like I wasn't familiar with comics. Yeah. I grew up reading them constantly. Okay. I fell out of love with them as yeah. you were describing when I was a teenager. There weren't comics that spoke to me then. Yeah. But I read I also believe I read the cream of the crop when I was little. I read the Archies. That's not yeah. the greatest comic in the world, but it it I read the Archies all summer long in, instead of watching television because we had this um, summer house on Cape Cod and my parents refused to put a TV in it. So this is my television and basically I just wanted to live in this drawn world all the time. And then yeah. my older brother, who's hilarious and very worldly, brought in Doonesbury and I read all of Doonesbury and then uh, and Peanuts was always around and then um, Asterix and Obelix, my brother also brought in. And I that was my gold standard. It's still today is my gold standard. I have no interest in Hergé. I'm gonna say that right out loud. I'm gonna come out of the closet <laughs> with that one, okay? This Claire, Lean Claire, whatever it is, I got no use for it. I like lean, confusing, mm. and um, and I love all the emotion and all the humor, yeah. all wrapped up in one thing in Asterix and Obliques, and all the wordplay. So that to me, um, that remains something. Uh, I just examined those drawings, like I would examine the way the dog was drawn. So what I'm saying, the long way is. Yeah. I, I had a tremendous love and familiarity with comics, and then I just set them aside. Again and again in our lives, we often don't do things because we think they're so easy. Mm -hmm. I did this with writing, too. As bad a writer as I was, I could write. I just didn't understand how to do it at the time. But I, you know, and, and drawing I could certainly do, but I thought, that's too easy, doing drawing, because I just draw. Drawing is natural. So comics, again, it'd be too easy. So I had to back into what yeah. actually for some people is quite hard. People go to school to learn how to do comics. Comics to me were like breathing. As soon as I saw what graphic novels were, I thought, I know how to do this. I already know how to do this. Yeah. You know? The, 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 a little bit of sort of disconnect in between, though, in, in terms of that this art form you know that that you you were seeing three four panels at a time or in archie digest form could be used to convey such a profound and serious message autobiography that was the great leap mm. and that was the leap that had been made and perfected by the time yeah. i discovered comics and now what excites the hell out of me is this idea that everything i learned you know i, I went to college and i majored in art history i didn't do art college and then, you know, I read everything I get my hands on and basically tried to do a, an English major underneath that, you know, get under the radar. And, um, and, you know, my great excitement now is that this art form that's so vital right now mm. can bring to it the best of what's possible in art, in the history of art, and the best of what's possible in the history of literature and bring them together yeah. in something that to me is, is becoming like jazz and rock and roll. It's a, it's a vernacular art form, uh, but it is so ready to be um, something that people just can't live without. It's going to become something that everybody just has to have. Although music everyone can hear, although I personally can't hear jazz, but um, comics I'm not sure everyone can read. I know some <laughs> people aren't just can't do the visual and ver verbal at the same time. Uh, my parents, you yeah. know, for one, for two. I w yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if that's the, really an inherent problem or if you just don't have, uh, you know, because you had the training. You, you had a very basic training on how to, to read 
comics and you know maybe you know maybe it's maybe it's like anything else maybe it's like learning an instrument maybe it's like learning a foreign language that you need some sort of seed there at some point that you need to have picked this up relatively early on to really appreciate it because because you're right I mean you know and, and I, I brought up the SPX example before but even in the vast majority of those cases um, you know and, and I'll have this conversation with people time and time again where they tell me that they didn't read superhero comics they've got no interest in, interest in superhero comics but um, you know they did read Peanuts they did have a very elementary education in comics at a formative period in their life and you know it's sort of like sensory recognition when it comes back that that this very primitive light switch gets turned on in your brain when when you circle back around to it and yeah. it's and it's a nice confluence of um, the stories that you're interested in reading or telling and this very kind of primitive art form Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the two things play together really nicely. Yeah. Um, what I was saying before that I think is kind of funny is, and I, I like this idea of, um, you know, sorry, of, of you, you know, learning about the graphic novel form beyond comics through uh, the New York Times, and obviously by by the time that they're writing about this, and the you know five or six books that they've decided to curate are the greatest examples of the form, and those are the ones. One of two ways you can go with this, you know, you can either say, "Oh, that's the best," I, you know, I'll, like I could look at Jimmy Corrigan and say, "Yeah, like, you know, why would I even try to do that?" And your initial reaction was, "Well, of course I'm going to do that." Not that, like, you know, maybe I could never create anything that can hit those heights. Your reaction to it was, "Oh, these things are really great. I want to make one of these things." Well, you know. You have to understand, too, that the, the headspace for um, a lot of people post any kind of cancer is, yeah. is I got to get going. Yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah, it is, yeah. I'm going to jump on it. So or I'm, I need to do I'm, something meaningful. I'm like Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music. You know, the hills are a lot. Yeah. I'm standing out there with a the camera running, you know, going around me. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, you know, everything is doable. Everything yeah. is wonderful. Thank God I'm here and, uh, and, and still alive and everything's groovy. So I had spent such a long life being an artist. I was 43 and nothing had clicked. And it was so frustrating because I knew I had these stories inside me and I had a voice, but I couldn't seem to get it out. I'd been a children's book illustrator and a novel writer badly, both of them. So my, uh, so I was, and, and also I think because I come from a highbrow background, mm-hmm. I was not going to be intimidated by lowbrow art, so-called. Though what I read was the highbrowest yeah. of that lowbrow art form, and my great... Um, you know, hope is to help it come, uh, keep keep climbing this mountain of of, of getting into, uh, of of using techniques that are that I read in Charles Dickens, that I saw in you know Renaissance art. Like it, it's it's all there, it's all possible. Yeah. Um, and I always read what I liked. I mean, I picked up Jimmy Corrigan. I made myself finish it. And I did find some things in it to enjoy, but I felt that it was more of a puzzle than it was, um, mm. that it gave me more of a puzzle than it gave me uh, the heart. So always I was looking for something that gave me 
something for my heart, which is why I ended up with Top Shelf, because all their books are like that. And I, yeah. that was my priority, because I knew I was always going to want something that was the most alive and the most emotional that I could possibly give to a reader. And I mean, that's a memoir fits kind of right in there. I mean, it's, it's something, yeah. it's very tangible. It's an actual person's life and experience. And that's, you know, maybe, I mean, obviously, as I stated, I, I like Chris Ware a lot, but, you know, maybe that that's what it's lacking for you is a real person's real experience. Well, it's, it's um, if I have read fiction, and, and if it's really well written, mm. it'll have a strong emotional vibe. Yeah. But as I got, and that used to be all I read, but as I got older, I began to be able to see the wheel creaking, you know, the, the crank creaking, and you could see what things were being done deliberately, mm. and you'd be like, oh, come on, man, no, yeah. I see what you're doing here. That's not good, that's not emotional enough. And for myself, I was always lying as soon as I was trying to be someone else on paper. So for me, the most direct way to access what, to access feelings and to be sure that the details I was picking were accurate and were truthful was to do it as um, autobiography. Yeah. And I think I, once I had the courage to do that, um, I... Uh, I did find my voice. Well, of course you find your voice when you do autobiography, unless you're not ready. And then you pose and hide behind things and, you know, and I've, I did that in my, in my writing. Now I'm interested to see if I can go back to fiction, mm. bring with it what I've learned doing autobiography. And in my next project, I hope to possibly blend, blend the two. What I, what I will say about Chris Ware, and this, this speaks to that, um, on the flip side, the, the art from an art standpoint, when you look at his work, you can almost see him sitting at his drawing table with his rulers, you know, with a, with, with a compass, drawing these perfect circles. You know, it's obviously his stuff is very deliberate and you can see him formulating it. And maybe, um, and, and this goes with what you were saying about storytelling, but, um, and this, you know, I, I spoke to uh, Jules Pfeiffer yesterday and I think he's, he's also a perfect example of this where, um, the way to kind of break that artifice is to create something, um, whether or not it's drawn really spontaneously and quickly, that at least has the appearance of having done that. This, this, you know, he was really speaking about actually like channeling something, and mm -hmm. that removes, uh, you know, I mean that's, the, I mean that's if, if you're sitting there in front of a piece of paper, and <laughs> this sounds corny, it sounds cornball, but really just channeling something and drawing it directly on the paper. Well, that immediacy is really important yeah. to me. And when I was, and I never questioned my drawing, which I really could have. I could have really gotten on my own case about, about it because of not drawing perfect bodies. Yeah. But my rule was always, if the emotion's in the picture, don't bother if the arm is wrong or the nose is wrong. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Tell the story, tell the story. Don't get bogged down. And um, Jules Pfeiffer is amazing at that. His book, Kill My Mother, is is a triumph of, mm. of the, the, that fast approach. I don't yeah. know whether he worked as fast as it looks like he worked, but I think he did. And I think, you know, to have that kind of energy and artistic, um, you know, clarity uh, at his age is just phenomenal. I, I just think that book is terrific. But um, the, uh, I was thinking of another example of that um, immediacy, and now it slipped my mind. But where 
is not about that. You yeah. know, he's he's about um, you caring enough to search through what he's giving you and find the emotion that lies at the heart of it. And I did when I read Jimmy Corrigan, and I appreciated what was there when you finally got there. But I felt as if I had traveled through a very lonely country, bleak mm. country, to get there. And um, anyway, and, and that, that instant, that instant yeah. feeling, I just never got from writing. And comics, to me, give you that instant, instant satisfaction. From creating or from, from Creating reading? them. Creating them and from reading them. Because it seems like, I mean, as somebody who obviously has read a lot but has never sat down and, and made a comic, it seems like a very laborious process. It seems like something that, you know, you're drawing page after page, panel after panel, you know, you're kind of repeating some things. Um, it, it seems, in, in some way, it seems like potentially the least spontaneous process in the world. Yeah, you know, that's very true. That's very true. And and I took a lot of breaks. It took eight years for me to do yeah. this book. And I, I mean, I did another book while I was doing it, and I also did a children's book. But I, um, you know, I would, I would stop myself uh, and make myself take time off when I could see things becoming too glib, too polished, too quick. Hmm. I didn't want to waste the material, and I always wanted it to be as raw as possible. So, some, so I walked away from what I was doing sometimes, but... It, it, toward the end, it was five or six hours a day, and I never knew what the next line was going to be. Hmm. It was, I don't pencil, I don't um, do a script. I had a vague, I had an outline with, you know, maybe two or three sentences for each chapter, and I had a timeline to remind me of when things happened. And then I would sort of chop the timeline in, air, in places to, that, okay, that's a chapter. And then I would just remind myself yeah. what I was going to cover. And, but each day I wanted it to be a surprise. So I would just sit down and say, okay, here's the, here's the panel where you find out you have breast cancer. Okay, where do you want to start? Okay, let's do this. And then I would just do it. But that, I used to, cons I used to think of it as a transmission. I have this attachment to this goddess figure, which is explained in the book and has been, uh, you know, uh, essentially a guiding metaphor for me throughout. Amuse. Well, yeah, 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 and a protector yeah. and a guide. and. And also someone who uh, makes me, gives me confidence where I might not have confidence. Uh, y you know, it, the b I dedicate the book to the goddess, among other people, and I do think that she enabled me somehow to do it hmm. because it was good PR for her. This is like an age of the goddess that we're entering, and she needs to speak through some people. So I very much felt like I was... Um, like something was just coming into me and coming out my fingers. And when the transmission got messed up, I would walk away because there were times when um, I was too bogged down with emotion or there was crap happening or my kids wouldn't get off my back or my husband needed something or I had to get dinner on the table and, and I'd hear sort of crackling and I wouldn't hear it clearly. You know, I needed space around me to hear what I was hearing and to see what I was seeing. I, I'm always when, when when people speak about doing that, and you know, and this was something that that, that Piper was talking about, was channeling something. I'm, I'm always always wonder how literally to take that, you know, to to, to how how literally you mean this idea of, of channeling some higher power. It is it is a useful phrase because it conveys a sense that you don't feel as if you're consciously doing this yeah, thing. Sure. And um, that's how I felt. Yeah. And I, if I, if I, sometimes I was feeling more consciously, like I'd realized my character was coming in a doorway. So okay, then I might pencil 
like just the shape of the doorway so that I got I didn't have to redo the picture because that was so off but for the most part it it that is how it feels when you're just it, you're sitting in the heart of a story yeah. and you just you you become like an opera director and all the singers and all the orchestral people and everything and the scenery and you know what needs to happen next and you just begin just sort of flagging people in and and bringing them in and and I had heard people describe this feeling but I have to say that once I was doing it and I was in the heart of my story that is how it felt I did feel as if I wasn't making decisions and it's a great place to get to because you have the most speed at that point and you have the fewest questions you don't question yourself anymore no matter, I mean, I drew a picture of my father, no spoilers, and his now wife dancing on a table, stark naked, as the devil and his, you know, concubine, because it just seemed, it just popped up as something that needed to be drawn in this story. And I remember drawing it, and I'm furiously drawing it, and, and this other part of my brain that's wearing, like, the gloves and, and the jacket and, and being all proper is thinking, you can't draw that. <laughs> Don't you know this is going to go out in the world if you're lucky? You can't do this. And this other part of me is just like, no, this is it. This is the book. I'm sorry. I can't. There's nothing I can do here. This is the book. This is what has to be here. Sorry, Dad. So, you know, and that whole thing with autobiography is another thing I have a lot of people to apologize to right now. But the the point is that it's that conviction that this is the the thing. Yeah. And, And that's where you're really in the heart of something you're working on it's funny because you know when i tend to think of uh and and when people tend to speak of channeling something and the muse and all these other things it tends to be with regards to fiction in a lot of cases with regards to like really sort of making things from scratch but it, it it sounds like your experience is as much that as it is sort of kind of reliving these things right i mean you have to put yourself back into that position you were at when you were writing about it you have to do your best to recall things as as clearly as possible. Well, that was that was very interesting too because memory is another kind of yeah. channeling, and I do uh, look at things in the book and not recognize them now and think, did I make that up? Hmm. I don't remember that. Yeah. But at the time, I remember I was so deeply into the story that I was remembering things that I I didn't even know. Like, it wasn't until I sat down to remember them that I remembered them so clearly. And that's when I began to realize I consider myself someone with a terrible memory. Hmm. But there's an awful lot of detail in this book. As I say, some of it I now don't remember. But I've, people have, I, I now think that all of us ha- do have access to all of our yeah. memories. Uh, we, just, we just don't go there most of the time. And if we did, we, you could get all the way in there. You know, you really can. And, and that's another reason you have to take breaks from doing a book like this, because you don't want to stay in that memory. It's like staying in a nightmare. You well, want to wake up. You want to get out of given it. given the subject matter of your book. But, you know, again, I have to always qualify that. The breast cancer part was not the hardest part to write. The no. hardest part was to write about the illnesses that other people in the, in the story had and losses in the story. Yeah. No spoilers, but I... That was the hard part. That was the stuff I didn't expect to include. Hmm. And when it popped up and I realized that it belonged there, I had to relive all of these relationships yeah. and all these losses. And that was, that was really pretty hard. What, what, what surprised me reading it, and this gets back to the, the, the title, 
is, you know, I, I guess what I was anticipating was something was 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 a cancer book, you know, from the standpoint of like, you know, Har Harvey P. Cars is sort of the you know the best known example, uh, the Art Cancer Yearbook, where it's kind of a book just about that experience, and this and you know, in a way that part of the story was kind of just a fraction of the story. I mean, it really was. Well, that was deliberate because I had seen that there were other cancer yeah. graphic novels out there and I didn't want to put myself, you know, just on the shelf beside them. Mm -hmm. You know, the story, it had been done. It was not an original yeah. thing. Um, so then I realized what I really wanted to do was a, a survivor book, you know, where I'm a, a woman, I'm, I've lived and I had a little work done, you know, and I had this breast cancer thing. And that's just a chapter of my life, and life goes on afterwards. And I really, and that's part of the message. You know, I was lucky enough for that to be my story. And so it, uh, and and having the rest of the memoir there gave it so much more depth. I mean, what I really wanted was to give a reader the same ride I had had when I sat in the doctor's yeah. office, got my diagnosis. It was like you dropped a rock into a pond and all these ripples came out from it and it had to do with my mother's breast cancer. And then I thought about how flat-chested I'd been when I was young, what an irony. And then I thought about how I'd nursed my babies and how I'd married a breast man and how I'd, uh, my dad had been obsessed with boobs and how my mother-in-law had had lung cancer and all these, you know, but then I thought, I don't want to write this as a flashback. Yeah. This is the meat of the story. This is more important than the breast cancer part yeah. because it's the thing that, that makes the breast cancer have meaning and resonate. And, and it's all these other things that everybody can relate to. I mean, everybody's had all of these things happen in their lives. My story's not unique. And that, to me, also is another reason why autobiography is so powerful because, Christ, I mean, when you try to write fiction, you try to make it original. But autobiography... It is original, but really, everybody's story, we all are having the same stuff happen to us all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's the best and the worst thing about it, that, you know, potentially that it's not, it, it, that it's not a completely, that it's not a completely unique experience. Um, you know, you said that the, 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 the cancer books have, have been done, but certainly, like, lifelong memoirs have been done as well, but it's also important to find a way to keep it universal. So you have to walk that line. Yeah. You have to walk the line of making it, you know, not like every single other book out there, but not completely alienating your audience at the same time, you know. And and I think what you did in keeping, you know, thankfully breast cancer isn't something that everybody has to go through themselves. I mean. You know, probably everybody's lives will be touched by it, but not everybody has to go through what you went through. But you know, at least 51% of the population can relate to large swaths of the story up till then, and that's yeah. what you were bringing. You know, and and I think that you were also that that, that you know that in a sense it's it's writing a story that doesn't necessarily feel like it's happening to somebody else if you can put yourself into that story up to that point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you can make it that you that 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 you were trying to make it like a little more i think universal i, I did i mean i did want to i i didn't want to alienate um anybody in this process i didn't feel like i was talking to a room full of women or a room full of women who'd been diagnosed with breast cancer i really because it's art i i, I 
you know, art, it, it, the point of art is to, is to raise human experience up mm. to a point where it, it can be, um, you can learn from it, you can learn from the patterns, and, and we can all sort of share our, you know, grieving and joy and all that stuff. And, and that's, that's the point, we're sharing stories and we're helping each other feel the way it felt to do things and talk about those feelings. I mean, that's kind of what art is. I mean, although it's, you know, you, there are all these different ways to do it. And I wanted to create something that was, that, that was worthy of, you know, my heroes, like Charles Dickens and stuff. And I, so I wanted it to be uh, as universal as I could make it and to be as sweeping and as much of a saga and have everything in it. I wasn't going to, you know, spare anybody anything. I was going to put it all in there. Big, big human soup. And yeah. Just make it the, the human soup of life. Usually, usually a book for a lot of artists, you know, a book that tackles something as kind of like deeply affecting and, and profound as, as that subject matter it's something that they kind of work up to you know it's it's oh, a lot yeah. of times like uh harrowing stories come a little bit later and this was you know obviously as you said earlier you you waited until you had a story to tell but it's it, the question is you know where to go from there once once your first book is this book you know what how do you you know you, you, there must be concern that like you know things will feel potentially trivial if this if this is your first book that you know will you ever find another story that you feel the urgency to tell the way you felt the urgency with this one it, it's funny because this wasn't my first book underwire was my first yeah. book but underwire was started long after i started this book i just completed this mm -hmm. one after i completed underwire and in underwire i i i did come to terms with making stories out of what was happening to me in the present tense that wasn't breast cancer. There was nothing about breast cancer in that book except the title, which everybody thought was the title of my other book. So um, I got, I, I began to enjoy the short story format in that book and realized that you could do a small story that would have, that would still have impact, you know. Uh, I have a story in there about my daughter, you know, take, bringing home three balloons and then letting them go gradually because she, she wanted to set them free, and, and she, but she was torn up about it. And, and when she was able to do it, it was this sort of epiphany of, wow, she's really, she's kind of learning to let go, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I mean, and there's like a little something there. Yeah. And I think I'll always uh, now be looking at life this way and through comics mm. eyeballs. And I've had fun. I've kept a diary comic for three and a half years, which follows yeah. the course of me finishing this um, book and and really documents all the things that got in the way, and, and including, you know, un, uh, selling a house that had been in my husband's family family for 45 years and cleaning out the barns and every possession that we had and reliving the kids childhoods and, and we lost animals during that the period i kept the diary comment like oh my mother broke her hip we had to nurse her you know all these things all this life stuff yeah. happened which to me still has impact even though it's in a diary format and um and as i look at this other thing i want to do I'm not bothered by it not being as heavy duty and or as saleable in a way as this breast cancer story. I knew 
I, I mean, I was doing it because I'd gone through it, but I knew that it had become a hot-button issue. Yeah. I hoped that um, nobody thought that that was why I was doing it. Um, but um, there are, there still are lots of other universal experiences, and probably um, other books I do, I'll need to, um, you know, think harder, work harder on them. Uh, but I, I really love the idea of continuing to evolve in this art form and see what it can do. I'm so much more confident now yeah. after this book. Now I feel like I'm ready to really jump in. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's funny. This is a conversation that, that keeps coming up for whatever reason this week. Everybody I've talked to, it keeps coming around the same thing. And it's this sort of I idea of, um, and this is what stopped a lot of people who grew up with superhero comics from thinking they could get into comics themselves was, you know, that, that the comics they were seeing were these kind of these, these perfect products that, you know, were completely disconnected from another human being. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you went through that to some degree. Uh, it's not a perfect analogy, but um, insofar as, you know, you felt like you really needed to have th that story to tell before you sat down and, and tried to do it. And, and you know, maybe what you've, you, you've got here now that you kind of, that barrier's been broken is you don't, it, you don't need to feel like when you're gonna sit, every time you sit down, you're gonna write a book. That mm -hmm. you can play around with things, that you can sort of like experiment, and that not everything has to be the culmination of your life's work. This, this is my life's work. I've done it. That's the thing. <laughs> okay. I used to drive my car going, no, 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 don't die behind the wheel because yeah. you've got to finish your life's work. And now that the book is done, I'm like, ah, so I can what? die now. It's fine. So it's, you know, so I didn't put my blinker on. So sue me. Big deal. You know, okay, t take me. I have my book and nobody can, you know, and that's done. So, but you know what? It's, it's like relaxing to yeah. have done your life's work because now you can play. And some... Wonderful artists have have done incredible work once they're really too old to be doing steady work, and if I can have another ten years, fifteen years, and and play with this format that I love so much, that's all I By the way, I you're not old for. enough that you can't do steady work. Just for the record. <laughs> well, I got a pretty bad thumb. I basically <laughs> gave myself arthritis and tendonitis right. doing this book the way I did. Well, I mean, you know, once you have gone through the 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 cancer yeah. thing, um, or any kind of life-threatening thing, um, you definitely have a, a f I think you definitely want to get things down on yeah. paper. And now that's another reason to relax. My life is now down on paper. It's not entirely wasted because <laughs> I turned it into something positive. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think when people, you know, I, I remember reading that Harvey Picard was doing autobiography possibly in part because his parents had had Alzheimer's. And, you know, you, you, there is this desire, and I was just talking with Julian Hanshaw, who's a wonderful UK author artist, and his new book, Tim Ginger, is out from mm -hmm. um, IDW Top Shelf. And he was saying, he was talking about the issue in his book of deciding not to have children. And I, we looked at each other and I realized that the two of us had very similar reasons for writing our books. Mm. And his in part was to come to terms with the idea that he was the end of the line for his family. Because uh, no one else has kids, I think, in his yeah. family. And I was, I had been looking down the barrel of a certain gun thinking, uh, maybe that's, this is the end 
of my life too. And so maybe the two of us wanted to get our lives down on paper. Yeah. But then once you've done that, you know, um, there's a wonderful sense of, of relief and, and I'm looking around going, well, you know, nothing has fallen on my head sure. yet. So do I get to live a little bit longer and do yeah. a little more stuff? Yeah, you've got more life to live. You, you, you will potentially have more stories to put down on paper. Yeah, man. Um, and I'm, I'm very into it. I just, I think the mortality thing remains as a very good guide. You know, memento mori. It's like the, the, the Middle Ages where they, that was their motto, you know, on remember, you know, that you are mortal. Yeah, I think that's what it means. Mm. Um, or remember death. And, uh, you know, it was a religious reminder, you know, that you are, um, you know, you're finite. You're not like God. Yeah. And in the Middle Ages, what did you live like? You lived to be maybe 29. Sure. You know, and uh, so this this can always remind me. You know, every time time I take my top off, I'm looking at these space orbs, and I'm reminded that, yeah, that happened. And you know, and so if you, I've done a lot of things I never had the nerve to do before. I joined a band. I took up electric violin I bought a five string I joined two bands and, and recently I started taking singing lessons so that I don't embarrass the bands as much and and I do the microphone pattern for the band and I'm like I, 10 years ago if you told me I was gonna be doing this shit I would have said no way were these these were always dreams that you just didn't have the guts to pursue I just didn't have guts yeah. I just didn't have guts I always had a big mouth I played the violin when I was young um, I sang a little bit you know chorus stuff yeah, these were abilities that were there, yeah. but the most horrible thing was thinking I was going to croak off never having developed any of these things. And now what I think is the breast cancer was somebody's way of telling me, all right, you, it's been really hard to wake you up. Yeah. So now we're going to have to pull out the big guns and we're going to give you breast cancer, but then you will be fully awake. There you go, that's Jennifer Hayden. You can check out the story of my tits from uh, from Top Shelf. Very, very powerful book and, and ending up on all sorts of uh, year-end best of lists as of late. You'll be seeing that name popping up quite frequently. Uh, certainly worth checking out. Glad we finally had a chance to do that. We've been trying to set up a conversation for a little while. I first met her back at uh, BEA some some months back and finally uh, we're both we're both in the greater New York City area but we finally managed to sit down in uh, in Baltimore of all places I, I I really liked that we were having you know a a, a sort of a you know pretty uh, pretty pretty deep conversation about uh, creativity and and you know uh, dealing with this a very very harrowing experience her, her battle with uh, breast cancer all, all the while there were just mostly Deadpool's walking around all sorts of you know as, as it was a, a Comic Con all sorts of costume people and just like roving packs of, of Deadpool's all, uh, all over the place and uh, on top of that this was the bane of my existence that, that weekend but the the entire time um it was it was a lot like it was a lot like doing a conversation in the middle of costco they had this really terrible pa system and they would do uh you know announcements like every five minutes or so so um i had to kind of edit the, the crap out of that conversation and many other fine conversations incidentally that that will be coming up from uh that i that i conducted at the baltimore comic-con so stay tuned for those uh thanks to uh jenna for for sitting down for that conversation thanks to 
uh, IDW for helping to, to set that one up. Uh, what else? Uh, thanks to, uh, I was going to thank Brian for editing this thing together, but I actually did it this week, um, which is why it was not up to the usual editing standard. So thanks to me for making the show slightly worse as usual. Uh, thanks to everybody at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like the show, many other fine shows you can check out over at iTunes. And while you are over at iTunes, you should take the opportunity to rate our program because, um, we're not running ads right now. We're not asking for money. Literally the only thing that we are asking for you. Uh, well, two things. I take it back. I'm getting greedy. Uh, we're asking for two things. One of them is that you go to iTunes or your uh, preferred podcast distributor and uh, rate the show. Uh, the other thing is if you liked what you heard, please, uh, please, please, please let people know. I've, I've been very happy with the conversations that we've been running on here uh, of late. I think it's been uh, it's been going great. I really enjoy my podcast ladies and gentlemen is what I'm trying to say uh, so go over iTunes rate us uh, you can follow us on Tumblr and do all of the other add some animated gifs and whatever people do at Tumblr uh, that's rylcast.tumblr.com if you have any feedback it's rylcast at gmail.com we've got a Facebook like us over there uh, I think that's about all I got for ways of contacting us and interacting with us socially uh, so we will be back uh, actually in a few days with another episode of RIYL.